Well, good morning, everyone. Good to see you again. I'm Bob. Uh, if we've never met, uh, you can reach me through robertosborne.info. It's right there if you would like to. I'd love to hear from you. And someone said, is it Robert now? What happened to Bob? So it's always been Robert. That's what my mother named me. Uh, but all my friends call me Bob, so that's why I'm called Bob, you know? And, and, and it works great for uh, phone calls because if someone starts off, Robert Osborne, I know it's not someone I know. <laughs> Someone's trying to sell something. Or this is a giveaway. Can I speak to Mr. Robert? That's a giveaway. Uh, anyway, good to see you this morning. This is now the second of our three-part series, Ghost, which is a series focusing on our well-being. And you can read about it on page 39 of your Westside Journal. So uh, I served for many years as a pastor. I now serve um, it, it, doing several things. One is teaching, but also I, I do spiritual direction. And I, I have a couple of days a week where I serve people in that function. And I found that after all those years of being a pastor and teaching and talking to people, I could focus in this part of my life on that talking to people part. Um, uh, you know, I'd, I'd been in spiritual direction myself, and I sat with Bob Mitchell, who is now in his 92nd, 93rd year. And when I started with him, he was about 80, and I would visit him in his overly heated room with his blanket over his legs. And I said, I can do that when I'm old. <laughs> I can sit in a chair and talk to people. Uh, so that's what I do. And, you know, spiritual direction is talking in a very purposed way about our inner world, about our spiritual life. It's not counseling. It is related to that. I, I would say these things are complementary. Um, but what I do is help people pay attention to their life, and so we talk. And that's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about our talking. Last week, we talked about paying attention, the need to pay attention, and how we need to open our eyes and not be mulish and lift up our faces and see, as these biblical words tell us to do, look and see. Today, I want to talk about conversation specifically, but our talk, our words, and how central our talking is to our human becoming. Uh, you know, we, we sometimes miss the things that are so up close and ordinary, but talking is an extraordinary part of our humanity and necessary for us. Next week, we're going to complete this journey by talking about what it means then to discern. And we're going to introduce that word and talk about it next week. So a few of you remarked uh, after Sunday last week that my talk was very personal. And that's what I tend to do. I tend to talk from personal stories and uh, personal things because I believe in that. I believe that when the personal gets removed from life, we lose too much. Uh, maybe you remember that classic movie, You've Got Mail, one of those 90 rom-coms. I don't know if it's on the list of great movies, but you know, it's got something to say, so I'm gonna say something about that movie. Remember the Tom Hanks character? Can't remember his name. Uh, he has the big bookstore that puts Meg Ryan's little bookstore out of business. You remember that? You know the story. And uh, he comes, he feels bad. He comes to visit her. And he says that proverbial line, it's not personal, it's just business, right? And she says, well, it was personal to me. <laughs> and she says, and what's wrong with being personal? Because whatever anything is, it ought to start with being personal. So there you have wisdom from You've Got Mail. There it is. And it's my feeling, really, that so much of human ambition, so much of our great projects, tends to run roughshod over the personal. 
You know, take a look at the great projects of history. Take the pyramids, for example. You could say, that was a great achievement. I mean, they piled up a lot of bricks and in a nice kind of pleasing shape. Uh, amazing. You can go there and visit it. But if you look at it from another angle, you realize the immense personal cost to people for that project to happen. The personal often gets run over by our projects. The Exodus tells us what God thinks about that, actually, and says, not for my people. They're going to come out of that. I'm going to set them free. Years ago, I heard about uh, a development in, a, in a, a development project in a remote African village, and it seems that the women had to walk miles, because this is how it happens in Africa. The women carry the water, carry, uh, carry, <laughs> carry everything in African culture. And the women had to walk several miles to the water source to fetch the water and then carry it all, way, all the way back to the village. And someone thought, probably from this part of the world, someone thought it would be a great idea to build a system to bring the water from the water source back to the village where they could simply turn on a tap. And the story is that this became very unsatisfactory to the villagers because it was on that walk, going back and forth to the water source, that the women of the village chatted and shared life and talked. And this new efficiency had eliminated what was the center of their existence together, where the real beauty of life happened in the sharing and the walking and the talking. It's where life happens. So maybe we could say this, however we get our water, <laughs> let's not miss out on the walking and the talking. So here's my question. When's the last time you had a really great conversation? We could also ask ourselves, when did we actually last have a really good belly laugh? That's a good question, too. But when did you last have a great conversation? Last week, I said that the Hebrew prophets and Jesus with them called us to pay attention, use these little words, look and see. This week, I want to suggest that the prophets and Jesus along with them also in their company calls us to speak, to talk. Take words and return to the Lord, says Hosea. And I love that little phrase. When you come back to God, bring your words with you. Or that simple little statement of Jesus, when you come to God, say. It's the introduction to the Lord's Prayer in Luke's Gospel. The word there is lego, the simplest word for speak or talk. When you come to the Lord, talk. And talk these words, right? And that's amazing. I find that absolutely astounding. God doesn't just say, listen to me. God doesn't just say, pay attention. But then he says, speak to me. And I need to hear you, and I want to hear you. And our life is shaped by actually that opening up and sharing of the words that is in us. That's how we become. I'm actually quite fascinated with conversation because it's such a dynamic thing, I find. I don't know how you feel it. It's full of twists and turns and surprises. I often say in my spiritual direction practice that where we begin is not where we end. And so I have no agenda when I meet with someone. It's all the usual dance. How are you? I'm fine, you know, da-da-da-da-da. And then we start talking. And something happens along the way. We start to, if we pay attention, open up into new things. And it's uncanny where a conversation can go. 
I think in some sense that the soul is shy. I don't know if you feel this way, but I feel this way, that the soul is shy. And it takes some kind of experience of grace for us to come out of hiding. And then when we do, conversation is nothing less than a wonder, I think. You know, if you and I were to jump into a car and drive Vancouver, because that's where all the great conversations happen on long drives, we would have quite a good conversation through the Rockies, and then we'd say, hey, it's BC, right? Keep going. Somewhere around Salmon Arm, it would get really good. (laughs) Because by that time, we've been together six hours (laughs) or five hours, depending on how you drive here. Uh, And, you know, as we get less shy and as we sense the comfort, because it's always about comfort and grace. You know, I had this moment just recently. I'll tell a little grandchild story. Um, she's not in my hearing, so I can get away with this. And don't tell her I said this. She's almost nine. But we were in the car last uh, summer. We took Lux, our Lux. There's two Luxes around. We took our Lux out to, um, to see the Dinosaur Museum in Drumheller. And she was talking about these mood rings. And we picked up a mood ring for her. And she's wearing her mood ring. And then Lux says, oh, I wonder if, if someone liked a boy. Would it show on your mood ring? And she was suddenly horrified. And what I did was I laughed. I laughed. thinking that was funny. And then Lux just withdrew into herself and her little young self. And then she cried. And I said, oh, my goodness, I've blown it. The shy soul that just suddenly peeked out to tell how she thought retreated because it wasn't safe. I think the soul is shy. It needs to be coaxed out. But it's so important that we do talk because conversation is life. Catherine Blythe talks about the mysteries and wonders of this basic human good in her book, The Art of Conversation. She begins that book by saying, on some level, I realized that just talking could change a life. What an amazing thing. As simple and as ordinary as that. And what we realize is, although the Christian life is filled with extraordinary things, on another side, the Christian life is an immersion in the ordinary things to see their wonder. Sherry Turkle, in her wonderful book, Reclaiming Conversation, puts it this way. Face-to-face conversation is the most human and humanizing thing we do. Fully present to one another, we learn to listen. It's where we develop the capacity for empathy. It's where we experience the joy of being heard, of being understood. And then she says this. Conversation advances self-reflection. Conversation is full of wonder. So much happens in it, doesn't it? I mean, to converse with someone is, first of all, to signal value, because to enter into conversation is to give your, your own self in presence to the other. And we pay attention to the person who's before us. It's a powerful thing to be listened to, isn't it? And it doesn't happen nearly enough. So we listen and we respond and we engage. It's a beautiful thing. You know, last week I thought, as I was here for the first time in a long time, and and I knew so many of you, that there was this quick rush of hellos, all these greetings, and that's a very nice thing. There's something incredibly wonderful about a smile and a hello. That's good. But it's not the same as a conversation. So we can live our life with greetings, but how many real conversations do you have? And I think that conversations are actually something that we have to invest in and be very intentional about. 
So there is an expression of value in a conversation, but there's another aspect we have to admit to, and that is the scary part of conversation, because when conversation is real, when we hit salmon arm and we start talking real things, it goes past the introductory dance of hello, then it becomes, well, it can become vulnerable, can it? It can make you feel vulnerable, exposed. You know, there's one line in one of the Sherlock Holmes stories where Holmes describes one of the main tactics he uses as a detective, and I think this is what I share as a spiritual directive with Sherlock Holmes. He says this, uh, get people talking, <laughs> because when people are talking, they give themselves away every time. So you listen closely to someone, you listen to their words, or better yet, listen to yourself. Pay attention to the words coming out. I often think of our, our words as something like the dipstick that goes into our engine to tell us the state of our oil. You know, you pull that thing out and you say, oh, it's low or, you know, it needs a change. Uh, our words are that kind of revelatory um, aspect of ourself. You know, we'll say something sometime and we'll say, that was in me. Oh, my goodness, that was in me. I don't know why it took so long, but... I eventually got on to this idea where I needed to shift, that I started to see what was needed, what I myself needed, I think. I used to think that what I needed was more information. It was always in the next book, or the answer was in the next uh, lecture, or talk, or piece of insight. But one day I realized that Jesus was not merely the teacher, although his teaching is absolutely rock-solid foundation. It wasn't the only thing he did. Jesus was also a conversationalist, which is amazing, right? He does this amazing thing. Jesus, the teacher, enters into conversation with people of all kinds. And what he does is he pays attention to the souls that are before him. So what I want to do in the remaining time that I have this morning is rehearse several conversations. The first, I'm just going to rehearse in a cursory way. Uh, two conversations that come from John's gospel. And then I'm going to take a little bit more time to walk uh, in a sort of exploratory fashion one conversation that Jesus has on Resurrection Sunday. The, the first two more cursory, the, the last paying more attention to it. The first two conversations are found in John's gospel, chapters three and four. And I'm not going to read these. This is your homework now. Go read these conversations Jesus has. And... Uh, Maybe we could say this, which is interesting about John's gospel, because it's often considered perhaps the most reflective of the gospels. Each of the gospels brings Jesus to us in a unique and, and important way. John's gospel is the last and the most reflective, and it also has the most conversations, which is kind of interesting. Is there a connection? Maybe there is. So in G John chapter 3, Jesus converses with a man, and the man is named and he's given the name Nicodemus. And you might know that story. In John 4, Jesus converses with a woman who remains unnamed, which suggests that she is of lower social status. So we have a named man and we have an unnamed woman. And now, if you're reading these stories, you see all the contrasts that start to occur between John 3, Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus, and John 4, Jesus' conversation with the woman, the Samaritan woman at the well. The man comes to Jesus in the cool of night, perhaps because of his reputation, maybe, while the woman encounters Jesus in the heat of the day at noonday. 
In John 3, the man who speaks to Jesus is a religious Jew, a Pharisee, which means he is somewhat of a theological sophisticate, you could say. He has read all the great books. But the woman is a Samaritan. And according to first century Jews, well, she's part of a group that just got a lot wrong. You could say that. And, and, and they, they might have been right. The Samaritans did get some things wrong. Maybe we could say the woman didn't quite have her theological and ethical ducks in a row. In contrast to Nicodemus. The man has this fine reputation. The woman has no reputation. She's already had five husbands. You think that's a scandal now? That's a scandal back then. Five husbands and now she's living with a man who's not her husband. Plainly, she's on some kind of search, isn't she? She's looking for life. But then so is Nicodemus. And while they seem like complete contrasts, there is something that links them. They both need to enter into conversation, into conversation with Jesus. And that's what they're given. Now think of Nicodemus. He's steeped in knowledge. He's received the wealth of a long and rich religious tradition, which is deeply good, deeply a blessing, but he still lacks something, doesn't he? Because when he comes to converse to Jesus, he comes full of ideas and content. And what Jesus does in that story in John chapter three is he keeps pushing Nicodemus down into the personal, down into where his soul really is. And he keeps saying to Nicodemus, what you need, Nicodemus, is a profound spiritual change, a birth, a spiritual birth, not just ideas. And the unnamed woman in, in John chapter four starts from a totally different place. I mean, she's not exactly looking for Jesus, is she? She's looking for something. She's gone through a series of men. <laughs> she's gone through now on her six. She's looking for something. She hasn't found it yet. Maybe it's this idealization of romantic or sexual love. I don't know what she's looking for. But she's not looking for Jesus. She just kind of runs into him in the course of her everyday life. And what happens then is this surprisingly gracious conversation. And when they start with wells and water and ordinary things, somehow in the winding, twisting nature of conversation, like the drive to Vancouver, we're going north, we're going south, but we're going west. Somewhere in that winding, twisting conversation, they end up surprisingly at the end as Jesus tells her about, well, her heart's desire, about God himself and about the Holy Spirit. And come to think of it, this is what Jesus tells Nicodemus too. This is what Jesus talks about with both these persons. And although they're so different from each other, they share in our common human need. Sometimes when I talk about personal things, I know I can talk about them because what is true about me is also true about you. <laughs> because we share in our common humanity. And what Jesus is saying is we need God to take residence within us. We need his breath in our lungs as we sang this morning. We need the Holy Spirit to fill our lungs and to enable us to talk and share life as we should. Most of us have had this experience of having our wind knocked out of us. You know that phrase, you got the wind knocked out of you. I mean, it happened regularly when I was a kid playing football or whatever I'm doing. That happens. Have you all had that experience? You've all had that, right? And what is that? 
I mean, it's not literally the wind getting, it's somehow a blow to our breathing apparatus, something goes into spasm. And what does it feel like? It's a, it's a tremendously weird sensation because uh, you can't actually talk. So someone, your friend rushes up to you, what happened? And you're on the ground, oh, right? You can't even say, I got the wind knocked out of me because you have no wind. You have no breath. Your breathing has been affected. There is no air in your lungs to tell what you need or what's wrong. There's a medical explanation for that, but we call it getting our wind knocked out and you feel panic. It's so fascinating to me that our speech is related to our breath. That in the mystery of our anatomy, there's something to take notice of here. That we are not merely to breathe and exist. And this distinguishes humanity from the rest of the animal creation, right? The animals, uh, well, they, they make sounds, but they don't talk. They don't express their inner life. We are not merely meant to breathe and to exist. We're meant to take in air so that we can breathe out words. We're meant to articulate our breath. We're meant to speak from our souls. And this is what Jesus is doing with the man and the woman in John 3 and 4. He's telling them about spirit because they need to speak from where they are. They need to come into the conversation with God and his people in a way that heals us from our windedness and helps us to speak to all with confidence and personalness and reality and find ourselves shifted and changed by it all. So what I want to do in this moment is just begin to rehearse what is a very famous story, which you've heard spoken on repeatedly, the Emmaus Road story from Luke chapter 24. I just want to introduce this. I'm going to have David come up and share in conversation with me just for a moment. But I, I want to rehearse this story, which has been very, very important in my life. Um, I, I actually have, this is a Rembrandt um, sketch that I have hanging in front of me next to my chair where I sit and read and pray. I actually have a Rembrandt in my office. Did you know that? I got it printed for 10 bucks at Staples, and then I got a frame around it. And it hangs there just like an icon, right, to remind me of this story that I know so well, but I want to hold before me that it is in this conversation that my perspective can get shifted, and I want to hold that before me. So let me just simply read the story and walk through some relevant thoughts, and then we'll talk briefly, and then we'll come to conclusion and pray this morning. Because Jesus is inviting us into a living conversation that can shift us. Now, the story takes place on Resurrection Day, on the day that the world changed. But as we're going to see now as we read this, somehow the followers of Jesus hadn't fully caught up to that reality. And that's true with us, right? The world has changed in Jesus we're trying to catch up <laughs> to the reality. And what gets locked into, uh, into our problem is our perspective. And we need to have that perspective shifted. And that's what happens through gracious conversation. So here it is. On that same day, resurrection day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and talking with each other about all these things that had happened. And while they're talking and discussing, you see, this is this is life in its basic sense, walking and talking. Jesus himself came near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. So 
two of the disciples, after all the happenings of the week that had just uh, finished, now on Resurrection Day, are probably walking home, and Jesus joins in the conversation, though he is unrecognized, which shows us that is a possibility that the word and the presence of Jesus can come into our lives in such ways that we don't recognize. We always have to hold up that as a possibility. And he said to them, what are you discussing with each other as you walk along? Now, that's a spiritual direction question. <laughs> it just opens us up, right? Spiritual directors do what Sherlock Holmes does, gets people talking. Jesus is getting them to talk. And how might you answer that? What are you talking about? What do you tend to talk about? Do you know the state of your conversation? You know, I'll be with someone in spiritual direction and they'll say, well, I keep coming back to this thing. I keep talking about it. And I'll say, we'll talk about it as long as is needed. There's no need to, to worry about that. You're processing it still and perhaps still coming to some kind of understanding spiritually and internally about what you need to choose or how you need to feel. But we'll do it as long as we need to. What are you talking about? And I could even ask that of the community of Westside. What is the state of your conversation? I mean, it really is a powerful question. What are we discussing? And it says here, they stood still looking sad. Literally, they're looking down, which reminds us of last week's mule, right? The face downcast. And then one of them, whose name was Cleophas, answered him, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have taken place there in these days? <laughs> this cracks me up because literally... <laughs> Cleopas is saying to the one who is the story, do you know the story? I've said this prayer many times, actually. Lord, do you know what's going on here? And I love the way it's phrased. This is the new Revised Standard Version, the things. And he asks them, Jesus responds, what things? Which again, you know, see, this is biblical humor. <laughs> Don't you know the things? What things? <laughs> literally the happenings, but what are you talking about? What are you actually focused on? What do you think is going on? The disciples think they know. They reply, the things about Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and crucified and so what these two discouraged and downcast disciples are doing now is informing this stranger who has now come alongside them, whom they do not yet recognize as Jesus. They're informing him all that had happened that concerns him. <laughs> the ironies, right? They're going to tell him the things. And in some sense, they're going to be accurate but in another sense, they're really going to miss how all these things fit together, and especially how the story resolves. So what they say is, if you read this text, is accurate but incomplete. And they continue, we had hoped. And now begins quite a long you know, telling of the story of all that had happened in the previous week. By biblical measures, when a story is told, what they do here is quite lengthy, which suggests that they probably talked for a fair amount of time. So it was a long walk. I don't know how long it would be, an hour and a half, two hour walk. 
And so they took their time. And what strikes me here is the time that is given for their speech. And Jesus, can you imagine patiently listening to this incomplete, (laughs) uh, accurate, but not altogether talk that they're giving him? Why doesn't he interrupt them? What is he listening for? I think he's listening for souls. And it's amazing. He says nothing until they finish. But they do finish. You know, I, I, I read the Psalms and pray from the Psalms almost every day of my life. Not every day, but almost every day. It, it, is, it is the voice of prayer for me. And I pray the Psalms and I try to get in cadence and sync with our prayer book, the Psalms. And what I've noticed through the years is that the Psalms are not always accurate speech. (laughs) And they're certainly not admirable speech all the time. What the Psalms are is honest speech. As the psalmist speaks truly from their perspective. And that is what is offered to God. What the Psalms train us in is honest talk with God. To pour out our hearts from our own perspective. There are many brilliant insights in the Psalms, but not all of them are admirable or accurate. It's very interesting. And here's where prayer happens. In the honest pouring out of our perspective, they teach us, the Psalms, to give all our words to God. And that's where it starts. And God hears in that moment the state of our souls. God hears our longings and our confusion and our weariness, and our hope, and our faith, and the jumble of it all. And in that moment of hearing on the Emmaus Road, as they pour out their hearts and Jesus listens, the story all of a sudden turns into what I wouldn't want to call the loving adjustment. And here it is. Then he said to them, Oh, how foolish you are, and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have declared. Was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them the things about himself in all of scripture. I want to call that the loving adjustment. You know, one of the things we have to pay attention to here is we read the words, but it was a living voice. And how would that voice have been heard? How would it have been heard? I think it was heard with with such a tenderness and a compassion, but a firmness to say, Oh, you've got to see it different. The pathway of the king had to go the way it did. So anchor yourself back in the fullness of the story, which is what a community of faith is supposed to do, right? I'm going to ask David to come and join me. And uh, we're going to chat. Uh, you know, uh, when David first came and I was still here on staff, we, we never had a problem talking, did we, David? We always, we always had an ease of conversation in those days. So I'm happy to hear what's going on in your heart uh, this morning and what your thoughts are as, as we talk about these things. I want you to try and live in my moment for a second where Bob said to me, just listen to the sermon and just talk about whatever comes to mind. I'd love for you to put yourself in my shoes at the minute. What would you talk about right now? Because I have a long list of things. So um, 
on a very practical level, you may have noticed if you follow our podcast that Bob and I caught up for a conversation midweek this week to sort of unpack last week's. One of my favorite questions with our midweek podcast is that, hey, what did you cut out from this sermon? And we'll do that again this week, so that I might deal with some of the other questions from my list here, yeah. Bob. I, you, know, I came, you know what came to mind to me as we were talking, actually, very personally, was our first ever conversation. In fact, our two first ever conversations. So Bob actually... Uh, was on the interview panel for me getting my job here. So look at that really graceful way of saying it's Bob's fault. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> but we did that over, uh, over Zoom when that was like a cool thing. Yeah, um, yeah. Remember that? Like, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and I remember this moment in the conversation uh, where you know, you're kind of doing that unscripted moment of an interview Tell us about your family. And yeah, I said, yeah. oh, and I, I, our daughter's Lux. And I remember you. I can still oh, see yeah, yeah. you going, Lux? <laughs> and you're like, that's my granddaughter's name. We thought it was a really unusual <laughs> name. <laughs> and I was like, so did I. And now we end up working together with uh, two children. Oh, yeah. um, and then in person, we then had a conversation. If you remember, uh, we went out for breakfast uh, over in Marta Loop. And mm-hmm. I remember the opening point of the conversation. Uh, this is when I, uh, the, there was first the, the Zoom moment. The opening moment of the conversation, if you remember it, you said, you said, you know, I'm thinking a lot at the minute about this condition called face blindness, mm. the, the Latin terms prosopagnosia. Yeah. You said, have you ever heard of that? And I said, I wrote a section of my doctoral thesis yeah, yeah. on that, and then we were friends forever. Yeah. Um, but, but I was thinking about how friendship is built in these strange moments that you cannot predict. Mm. You can plan a conversation, yeah. but it's in this surprising moment of the, hey, what are you talking about and uh, you know like like Jesus does with these people and how it's actually I have a tendency sometimes of rehearsing conversations that I want to go well if it's an interview or perhaps a tough conversation well maybe I can say this and that will help and and then if I refer back to my life where have all my friendships built from where have where have the moments like with my spiritual director it's always the unplanned it's when you drop into that moment of relaxation perhaps yeah. or a little bit opening of that vulnerability yeah. that yeah. then the actual bonds are yeah. are, are felt yeah. but then something happened to me in your sermon and this is the second time i've heard it so this is not what i said the mm. first time and i wonder if it happened to you as well um you told the story about your lux mm. and i'm one of the few people that knows what it's like to be driving a car and have a lux exploring their feelings and their emotions and you told that and and that moment where you're like, oh, I blew it, yeah. right? And like, I felt that right here in my feeler. I don't know, did any of you? Like, yeah. oh my goodness. But here's what happened to me. I found myself instantly thinking of a conversation that I have had with someone where I realized, you know, they opened something up there and I blew it. Mm-hmm. And so I actually have in my notes here, I need to contact somebody and apologize. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and, and I wonder if, you might have the same. And I just encourage you, just hold that this morning. When Bob told that story, maybe it was just me that had that moment. It was like, oh, I have a moment like that. And as I reflected as you were teaching, I thought, you know, I don't know if I've ever dealt with that. I don't know if I've gone back to that person and said, you know, like I saw that and afterwards... And I'd encourage you, I, I think it's something really healthy in yes. the art of the conversation of circling back around and going, okay, we're not going to just leave that there. Yeah. I want to just reach out. Maybe yeah. it's a little awkward. Yeah. So that was kind of what was turning in me. Yeah, um, yeah. Does, that, does yeah. that make any sense? Well, absolutely. So I think conversation is vulnerable, not only for opening up our hearts, but receiving those hearts. Because we don't always receive each other the way we should, just as we don't always open up the way we need to. 
So, but, but what's going on? The conversation is not a scripted thing. It's not a pre-planned thing. It's, it's an exploration. It's an openness to the other, which this is why I find it absolutely fascinating and deeply mysterious to our becoming that we are going to find out about ourselves as we talk and be with others and hear. And it gives us opportunity then to change and become. And when we find ourselves repeating patterns of, you know, we've all, I, I've had this in, when I'm in a large room meeting a lot of people, because I am an introvert. That's what I am, even though I can get up on stage, I am an introvert. And there'll be a rush of, rush of people on a Sunday morning, and you'll talk, and then you'll leave, and you'll realize, oh, I could have paid attention to that person, or I missed that. That's what the function, I think, of our memory, and it's not to beat up on ourselves, it's just to just to say, you know, there was something there that you could have paid attention to or maybe responded in a different way. Um, so it's revealing. Conversation is revealing. It's revealing of our souls. And I think this is why it matters. And maybe why in our present moment, uh, part of our collected mental stress is that conversation itself as a healing thing is breaking down in so many ways. Um, and we could explore that, but maybe we'll explore that this week. But how is conversation breaking down? Um, I actually didn't say this in, this, in, in the talk, I don't think, today. But, you know, the sign of our broken relationship is when we're not talking. Did I say that? I don't know if I said that. Service. said in the first service. It's really an indication of, you know, what is at stake here. But the solution is not simply to let that lie. It's to seek back pathways into healing conversation. That's the way forward. And, and I, I love that the fact that you've defined, and I know it's intentional, but yeah. I, I want to grab it, right. that you've defined talking as conversation. Because yeah. uh, one of the things that came to me as I was listening to you, uh, and again, the privilege of hearing it twice so I can reflect on yeah. both, is I think there's almost a call in what you're saying, because you're not just saying talk, you're saying talk like this. Yeah. I, I think there's a call to resist what I, I scribbled in my notes as the tyranny of the sound bite. Oh. Right? We live in this social media age, which is like I notice how often I get asked the question, what's your position on? Yeah. Right? And I, I yearn for beginning with Moses and the prophets, Jesus yeah. told them the whole yeah, story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? They didn't say, what's your position, Jesus, on yeah. what just happened? Jesus says, no, I need to talk you through a long story to help yeah, you yeah. understand. And yeah. if you just hear my position, yeah. it's not going to make sense. Yeah, beautiful. But we live in this kind of so many characters, so many seconds. Yeah. Th there's this, you see it in our politicians, yeah. the need to have sound bites, yeah. whereas conversation is patient and it's yeah. slow and it's yeah. long. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I, you know, I, I think for me, it was, there was an ignorance about that. Mm. I, I didn't know the need that I had for conversation in the way that I had. Uh, so the first barrier that I had was ignorance. The second barrier I had was access. How am I going to access this? Um, and that, that can be the same for all of us. We might not know we need it, but once we know we need it, now the question is, well, how can I cultivate this in my life? Now that's the ongoing question. But at least the first has been deposited in us. This is a deep good which God invites us into not only conversation with him, but in conversation with his community, our brothers and sisters. And I think those two walk hand in hand. Yeah. I'm going to leave the rest yeah. to you, Bob. Thank you. Thank you. I'll just finish up with a brief thought here. Uh, end our story on the Emmaus Road. Um, it says, as they came near the village to which they were going, he walked ahead as if he were going on. 
But they urged him strongly, saying, stay with us, because it is almost evening and the day is nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. Plainly, what you can see here is this conversation has deeply entered in their soul in such a way that they didn't want it to end. They wanted it to continue. And then it says this, when he was at table with them, he took bread, blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And what is presented here is actually a a communion moment in the way the language works. But understand this about that communion moment. It is a focusing in, I think, in a very specific and intentional way, just like a family will walk and talk, but then they'll sit down at the table and their conversation becomes focused and personal around the table. Think of this circle of words here, communion, communicate, (laughs) community, common. And you realize what's going on at the table. When you come back next around to it, what is happening here is a deep sense of shared life. And then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. But you know what happens here? Something is changing in him, in them so powerfully through this gracious conversation, which then focused itself in at the table. Because only a few hours before they were sat and downcast, but now they said to each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he was talking to us on the road, while he was opening the scriptures to us? This incredible new energy <laughs> from the core of their being Their essential selves coming alive as the breath of the Spirit had entered them through that living conversation. Beautiful. That same hour, they got up and returned to Jerusalem. And I can can imagine that the slow walk out to Emmaus had now become a quick jot back to the city, right? They're, They're filled with energy, aren't they? And they found the 11 and their companions gathered together and they were saying, the Lord has risen indeed and he's appeared to Simon. And then they told what had happened on the road. And how he had made known to them, how he had made himself known to them in the breaking of the bread. Such a beautiful story. Their conversation and their talk now is completely different. So it's not how we begin, it's how we end. And gracious conversations can do that. Let's pray. Let's end this moment just asking the Lord to be with us. As we prayed last Sunday, Lord, we want to see, we need to see, and we want to recognize you in our lives. We want to be able to see what we need to see. And today we're beginning to understand that we need to talk it out so that we can see it. (laughs) We're not going to see it unless somehow you journey with us in conversation. Unless somehow we can journey with our brothers and sisters in conversation. So would you bring to us, Lord, we ask as a community, the loving adjustment. We need to hear your resurrection perspective, we pray. And Lord... What we ask for now, if you just taken a deep breath, taking a breath, that you would fill our lungs with your spirit and give us the ability to speak from where we are and to share our lives with those we love and to make friends in the community of faith and to walk and talk and to become. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you would help us recover from our spiritual windedness. We pray these things because you are good, Jesus. Amen and amen. Listen, it's always great to be here. And thank you for your welcome last Sunday and today. God bless you and have a great week. God bless.